El Extraordinario. Extraordinario. This is something I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. Can you tell me again where you got this score? I'm at the Abbey of St. Gallen, which took me less than an hour to reach from Winterthur. And I'm here to interview Elias Hosser, a historian who works at the Abbey. I emailed him ahead of my visit to ask if he'd like to be on my podcast. To be honest, I didn't expect to hear back from him, but I attached a photo of Ursula's score, and he wrote back straight away. Now that I have him in front of me, I realize I've really piqued his interest. I tell him about how I got hold of the score, but I leave Milo out of the story, since I'm still unable to explain how that man came to forget me. I'd never heard of Ursula Bloom, and now I want you to tell me everything you know about her. That makes two of us. So what do you want to know? In your email, you asked me about these notations, and I can confirm that they are neumes, but they are an unusual and specific type of neum. Okay. What type? It's a long story. How about we go inside and I'll tell you along the way? Sounds good. Elias has offered to give me a guided tour of the section of the abbey that is open to the public. Right now we're standing outside the library, but before we head inside, we have to put on a pair of massive slippers which cover our shoes. I feel a bit dumb. Until we walk in and I completely forget about it. I can't believe you get to work in this place. It's amazing, isn't it? I still haven't got used to it. I don't think amazing goes far enough to describe what was in front of me. The Abbey Library isn't that big, but it's one of the most breathtaking sights I've ever seen. My brain struggles to process that this is a real place and not a movie set. Designed in a Baroque style, the library is decorated lavishly, with frescoes on the ceilings, big picture windows, Corinthian capitals, and two floors of shelves overflowing with books. There are medieval manuscripts on display, a stunning celestial globe made of wood, and even a sarcophagus. Is that a real mummy inside? Yes. It's part of the library's cabinet of curiosities. It's a little disrespectful by today's standards, to be honest. I feel a bit lightheaded, surrounded by so much beauty, and I gasp for air as we walk out of the library. Sanctuary of the soul. Huh? That's what those letters written above the door say. It's in ancient Greek. The monks here believed that books and knowledge could cure the ills of the soul. Elias guides me down a staircase which leads into an exhibition space, surrounded by stone walls. It's really dark in here because the light can damage the manuscripts. Some of these are over 1,000 years old. Here, take a look at this one. What do you think? It feels like I've stepped into a movie. I know. The, the name of the rose, right? Well, you haven't. And this is real life. This manuscript is one of the Abbey's most important treasures. It's the Cantatorium Codex Sangalensis 359, written by monks in this Abbey between 922 and 926. Calligraphy is amazing. What you see written in Latin are the lyrics that the soloist would sing during Mass. And the symbols on top of the words are neumes. Oh yeah, that's what Amanda said to me. The, the friend I was telling you about earlier. Yes, I remember. So, the neumes are there to guide the intonation of the singer's voice. And that's what makes this the oldest document with music notation. So, in other words, it's the mother of all scores. 
More or less, yeah. Uh, now, come with me. In order for me to explain to you why I was so taken aback by the news on Ursula Bloom's score, I need to give you a brief history of the Abbey. Elias guides me to another glass cabinet, displaying the cover of a manuscript carved in marble. See him? That's Gallus, the founder of the Abbey. They say he was an Irish missionary traveling around Europe with a group of Irish monks. They also say that upon arriving to this valley, God sent him a sign and he decided to settle here and establish a monastery. Uh, you said they say? Yes, there are several legends about the origins of the Abbey. But let's focus on what we know for sure. We know for certain that many Irish monks settled here because their books have survived to this day. And here's the important part. These Irish monks were incredibly cultured and could read ancient Greek. So on top of copying Christian manuscripts, they also copied classical and pagan writings. And that's not all. They were very well versed in their national folklore. Celtic folklore. Exactly. And now let's put aside the facts to talk about myths and legends because sometimes mythology merges with reality. We walk out into the main courtyard, which is covered in a thick layer of snow. After the darkness of the corridors, I'm blinded by the whiteness of the light. Are you okay? Are you cold? No, it's, it's nice out here. Here it goes then. Dakta was the most important god in Irish mythology. Kind of like their version of Zeus. So he owned this harp, a magical harp that played three strains of supernatural music. Gentraige, Goldtraige, and Swantraige, mm -hmm. which had three different effects on people. Okay. Legend has it that Gentraige caused laughter. Goldtraige caused sorrow and suffering, to the extent that some tales speak of maidens throwing themselves into the river and drowning. And last but not least, Swantraige lulled people into a kind of trance, leaving them in an altered state of consciousness. According to the legends, that music could be used to cure the sick, help wounded soldiers, women in labor. Wounded soldiers? Yes. Remember that in the Middle Ages, music meant even more to them than it does to us today. Keep in mind that back then, it only existed in a live form and was reserved almost exclusively for celebrations. Knowing this helps us understand why they treated it as a medium to connect with the supernatural and the divine. Whoa, I never really thought of it that way. Well, in Irish fairy tales, the characters often suddenly hear a strange music coming from nature. For instance, in one fable, some pilgrims chance upon a feast laid out by the fairies in the middle of a field. While they are eating, some sheet birds fly down and... Sheet birds? Yes, they're like fairy birds. So the birds start singing that swantrage, a strain of music, and the pilgrims go into a trance. And when they finish the meal, seven years have passed. It's not always bird song, though. In these tales, that supernatural music can come from a river, the trees, the wind. That sounds familiar. But what does that have to do with the abbey and the monks? That's what I'm getting to. Those ideas can also be found in Christian beliefs. 
but instead of the music of fairies, it's the music of angels, or heavenly music. Oh yeah, that's what Hildegard von Bingen wrote about. Exactly, that's a great example. Well, it turns out that some of the Irish monks in this abbey thought that chanting didn't only bring them closer to God. It also allowed them to channel God and influence other people. Like in the Irish folk tales. That's it. Some of the monks in the abbey would meet in secret to perform these chants. We know this because it appears in some of their writings. They called this society Voces Dei. Now you're freezing, aren't you? A shiver did run down my spine, but it wasn't from the cold. I got the chills when I heard the words, Voces Dei. I tell Elias that those words were written several times on one of Clara's documents about medieval music and women. Hmm. That actually makes a lot of sense. We know the monks from that society performed those supernatural chants, but where did they get the melodies? According to our research, they believed that some women had a divine gift that allowed them to hear the heavenly music. An important part of the ritual was identifying these women. Uh, the document I was telling you about referred to both Hildegard von Bingen and St. Viborada of St. Gallen. That's right. Viborada was the first woman to be formally canonized. She lived here as an anchoress. The texts say she had visions and other gifts of prophecy. She was most probably the first Vox Dei in the society. Hmm. I guess Clara also came to that conclusion. I don't know how she found out about that. It's more anecdotal than factual, and very few historians have looked into it. By the way, I shared your score with some of my colleagues. Is that okay? Sure, no problem. But you still haven't told me about the Nooms. Oh yes, the Nooms. In one of the writings that mentioned the Voces Dei society, the monks wrote down a special type of Nooms used by its members. We don't think the songs actually had lyrics. It was more a case of just harmonizing their chants following this secret notation. The exact same notation that is used on Ursula Bloom's score. Okay, but when were those manuscripts written? In the 11th century. We haven't found any other traces of their existence since then. But then what are those gnomes doing on a score written by a 20th century female painter? <laughs> no idea. I was hoping you would be able to help me with that. I don't have any answers for Elias, but after everything I've learned today, I need some time alone. I need some time to collect my thoughts. Before I head back to Lucerne, I catch the Mulekbahn funicular that connects the Abbey of St. Gallen with the higher parts of the city. Once there, it takes me a couple of minutes to reach the cemetery of St. Georgian. It takes me longer than expected to find what I'm looking for because the cemetery is covered in snow. But after a while, I finally manage to locate it. This is it, Ursula Bloom's grave. A plain headstone with her name, the date of her birth and death. That's it. It's as if it was meant to be forgotten. In fact, I would never have found it if it wasn't for Clara's Instagram account. One of her photos was taken here, at this very spot, with one major difference. The ground was covered with flowers instead of snow. What exactly was it that you could hear, Ursula? Was it the same heavenly music that Hildegard and St. Viborada heard? Is that what you were trying to translate into musical notation in your scores? 
I'm standing next to you, and it's so frustrating to not be able to ask you. Unfortunately, I found you many decades too late. I didn't think that visiting your grave would make me feel even more alone. Although it seems like I'm not the only one here. What's up? David, can you record this conversation? Uh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Wait, what's going on? Are you... Please record this, okay? Make sure you do, because I'm not... I think the battery... I think it's about to run out of my recording. Uh, okay, okay, okay. It's, it's, it's recording. Just, just, just tell me what's going on. You're worrying me. I'm... I don't know. It might not be in my head, okay? But I was just in the cemetery where Ursula's buried, and... Yeah? And while I was there, this man walked in, right? He was tall, and he was wearing a coat and a hat and, and a black scarf, and he's... I think he's following me. He's what? I am... I've seen him before. I think I saw him when I left the abbey and when I was waiting for the funicular, and then... then I saw him in the cemetery. He... he walked in and he just stood there looking at a headstone, but... I, I think he was actually watching me. I... I think he's behind me right now. I think he's following me. Uh, uh, okay, where, where are you now? I don't know. I I walked out of the cemetery, and when I realized he was following me, I, I took a detour, and now I think I'm kind of lost. I'm I'm in an area with a couple of... I, I think they're like little ponds that have frozen over. I'm walking along a path that has a view of all of St. Gallen. Is, is there anyone else around? Is, is it just you? Yes, I haven't seen anyone else since I left the cemetery. Just... This. I am, I am, I'm recording, don't worry about it. Hang on, are you sure that this man is following you? I don't know! I think I saw him before, by the abbey, and then again in the cemetery, and now, now I can't see where he is. Okay, okay. Isn't there anyone else around that you you can talk to? Can, can you see any any houses nearby? No, no, there, there's nothing here, just the lakes and some, some sheds. I don't know. Emma? Emma, what? I saw him. Who? man? Yes. I saw him. I saw him. I saw him in the distance, but it's him. He's standing by a tree. He's looking right at but me. Are, are you sure it's him? Yes, he's... Fuck! Emma? Emma, Emma, are, are, are you okay? Emma, what's... Emma! Wait. Emma, come on. Yes. Please, what's, what's going on? Hang on a second. Emma. <sighs> Emma, Emma, are you, are you okay? Emma, what's going on? Hang on. Emma. Emma, please. What happened? What's, what's going on? Emma, come on. What's started to walk towards me, and I'm, I'm hiding now in one of the sheds. The door was open, and I've I've locked myself in. Can you still see the man from in there? No. This is. The, there aren't any windows. It's pitch black in here. It's like I I think it must be your. You, I think it must be used to sort tools, but. Emma, uh, don't worry. Okay. It, if you're in there, just... Emma? Emma, what's happening? Emma! Emma, just... Emma, Emma! 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 Emma, what's... I think... I think he's gone. Okay, uh... Don't open the door, okay? Just, just, just stay there. I'm gonna call the police. Um... Don't hang up, Emma, please. I'm, I'm, I'm here, all right? Yeah? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna call him from the landlord. Just, just stay put. Don't open the door, yeah? Okay? Don't worry, Emma. Yes, can be okay. The police arrived just ten minutes later, but it felt like a lifetime. I could barely get myself up to open the door for them. I was curled up on the floor, dirty and wet from running through the snow. It was already dark outside. The two officers who came to rescue me couldn't find anyone who fit my description, 
They offered to take me back to the station, and I accepted. That night, after I got back to Amanda's and told her everything that had happened, I called David again. How are you feeling? I'm getting there. Still a little shaken up, I guess. Yeah, I can imagine. But I'm feeling okay. Calmer. I'm glad Amanda was home when I arrived. Didn't want to be alone. Yeah. I'm glad you're together. You sure you don't want me to book a flight and join you there? No, no, really, no need. Don't worry. Honestly. Okay. But thanks, anyway. I know it was a huge shock, but try not to get too hung up about it. It's probably just some weirdo that noticed you on the street and... Well... Well... I don't know, I mean, kind of a weird coincidence, don't you think? What is? All of this, David. So you think this man started following me out of the blue, today of all days. The day when I figured out, when, when I learned all this stuff about the mystical or magical chanting. So he just happened to chase me after I visited Ursula Bloom's grave. Uh, wait a minute, what, you, you think that man followed you because of the things you discovered? Without a doubt. I think there's someone out there who doesn't want this information to get out. I knew exactly who that be. I don't know. Her uncle? Ursula Bloom's uncle. Yeah, I mean... Emma, that man would be, what, 200 years old? Oh, come on. I know that. I'm not saying him, him. I don't know. Maybe he left some kind of instructions before he died? I just think it's so weird that he was the director of Ursula's hospital and that he was there when she was sectioned. Maybe he did it to hide all this. Emma, this is her uncle we're talking about. If she wasn't well and he worked at a psychiatric hospital, it makes sense that he'd be concerned that he tried to, to help her. All right, but... What if there wasn't anything actually wrong with Ursula? What if the chanting and the magical music is all true? Maybe whoever is trying to avoid all this getting out used the music to, to make Milo forget everything? Remember Milo, the man who sent Clara to scores? Uh, come on, Emma, uh, listen to yourself. Are you saying, what, do you think there's some kind of magical music with superpowers? Is that really what you're saying? No, I don't know. But what if that also happened to Clara? What do you mean? I just remembered her message. The one she sent you? What was it you said? That it was strange, even by Clara's standards, for her to disappear like that? But... Don't you think that whatever they did to Milo, they might have done to her too? I mean, if that music can be used to put you into a trance, someone could use it to... I don't know, erase your memory or hypnotize you or something? <laughs> Emma, come on, you can't be serious. You're not making any sense. You might be a little... I think Clara was convinced that Ursula Bloom's music could do that. I think Clara discovered it when she was working on her PhD. Emma, I... That's why she got obsessed with her music. And that's why she came here to research it. Emma... I think Clara hoped that it would cure her. She thought Ursula's melody would help her. That's what Clara was looking for, and then Was she... Clara looking for it, or are you looking for it? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get... worked up, it's just... It feels like you're getting carried away. I think you're getting too caught up in the story and I think you're losing perspective. You know I... I supported you 100% when you came up with the idea for the podcast. I encourage you to travel to Switzerland to research the story, especially after everything you've been through here and, you know, I'm just starting to think it wasn't such a good idea. Yeah. I thought you were doing much better, but since you've been there, you've started waking up again in the middle of the night. Wait, within... what? How do you know I've been waking up every night? 
Amanda told me she heard you scream during the night. Our conversation ended when he said that. I was so upset that I hung up on him. I knew I had no right to be mad at him or Amanda, but it took me several hours to acknowledge that. I guess it's because I find it hard to accept their compassion because I feel like I don't deserve it. I've asked David to keep that conversation in the podcast because, well, I don't think the story I'm telling you would make sense if I wasn't completely upfront with you. It would have been great if I could have simply followed Ursula Bloom and Clara, but all things considered, I think I need to explain a couple of things about myself. Two years ago, a little over two years ago, actually, I was in a car crash when I was visiting my parents. It was a Sunday night and I was driving along a dark road when a bird just flew out of nowhere and crashed into my windshield. The bird shattered the glass. I freaked out, swerved, and crashed into a tree. I was actually lucky that that tree was there. Those few seconds saved me from a head-on collision with the car that was driving on the opposite side of the road, carrying a couple and a little girl. Even though the crash was horrific, it only took me a couple of months to recover. Physically, that is. Since then, well, I often relive that night over and over again in my dreams. I'm not a good sleeper and that makes me feel stressed or it puts me in a mental state that has turned my life upside down. I haven't been able to drive since and even though I've been able to start leaving the house and hang out with friends, I don't feel like myself. I feel like an imposter in my own skin. I took a couple of months off work, but I ended up having to request a leave of absence. I've been to see several specialists, and they've all said it's probably PTSD. But my question is, PTSD from what? I was the one who almost killed that family. And that is entirely my fault because that bird that crashed into the windshield never actually existed. I can picture it clearly as it crashes against the windshield. I, I can see the glass shattering, but after the accident, the windshield was intact and there was no trace of the bird. I probably just fell asleep at the wheel. People experience terrible things every day and they manage to get through it and just get on with their lives. And I fall asleep at the wheel and dream about a bird that is still trapped in my head, slowly pecking away at the very core of my being. David says I have to forgive myself, but honestly, I just like to run away from myself. So when I stumbled upon Clara's suitcase, it felt like I'd opened a door into another world. I switched my obsession for hers, and for a couple of weeks, I felt completely weightless. But as I've gradually unearthed more information on Ursula Bloom, I feel like an idiot that has fallen asleep at the wheel again. But this time, I've been dreaming that if her music could heal others, maybe it could heal me too. <laughs>